welcome to episode 58 of The Courageous Mama. We have such a good show for you today. If you want to be empowered, equipped and encouraged as a parent, you've come to the right place. I've been inviting some friends on the podcast recently to reflect on their parenthood because I feel they've got something valuable to share. When I was a young mum, I would notice families who were a little ahead of me that I liked the look of. I liked the way the kids were turning out. I recognised their values and I would ask questions. I really wanted to learn from them. So by that same token, I thought it would be fun to do that on the podcast. This week, I'm going to introduce you to one of my really special friends, Hills Grew. We've known each other now for nearly 20 years, so seen each other through many ups and downs, challenges and victories, and done life together as our kids went from little to teens to adults. We never run out of things to talk about, and parenting was definitely a popular topic over the years. In fact, I have learned so much from her. She's one of those wise people who seems to have an articulation where I've got jumbled thoughts. And she puts things into perspective so well, as you'll see. I love her sage advice and I'm quite a way through her book, which is called Known. And I'll tell you more about that at the end. All the topics that we chat about today are principles for whatever stage you're at in your parenting. But I particularly pressed in for the teen years because I know so many of you are either nowhere near and wondering what they're going to be like, getting closer or in the middle of it. Wherever you are, you will come away encouraged, empowered and equipped. So come and meet my friend Hills. I started by asking her, when you first had kids, did you have some hopes and dreams and goals in mind? Yes, I had quite a few. Um, I was encouraged to think about that um, by some great advice about beginning with the end in mind. I'm sure you've done some stuff on that because you're very <laughs> you're very intentional yourself. And I, I did actually um, imagine what I wanted the family to look like when the children were grown up. I kind of pictured what kind of family I wanted. Oh, did you? Yeah, what, what, what I wanted us to, to be like as a family. And one of the pictures that really stuck in my mind was being able to sit around a table with a bunch of, of young adults um, and then obviously older adults but you don't kind of tend to imagine them more than just reaching adulthood do you? Yeah that's true. Um, a bunch of young adults sitting around a table with us and just able to talk and communicate about all the different dimensions of life, the fun stuff, the challenging stuff, the painful stuff, um, the thought-provoking stuff that's what I imagined a family that could communicate well with each other and so therefore one of my goals became communication um, learning how to communicate well as a family uh, learning how to listen as a parent me Tim learning how to help them to talk and articulate um, their stuff and when and you say learning how to listen and learning how to communicate did you read books did, were you influenced by people what, what kind of made Tuesday look different <laughs> um, Yes, I mean, I, I am a learner. I love learning. I love learning from people who've been there, done it, run the race before me. Um, so there were people in my life who had older children who'd made a lot of progress in that direction. So I would pick their brains for their wisdom and what they put into practice. And I found books that were helpful. Um, there weren't podcasts in those days, but no. I definitely sought out the wisdom of people who had raised children and 
ended up with a family unit that that had some of the values in it that I was looking to see in ours. And so what tools did you end up putting in place to improve communication? So I had grown up in a family where I would say communication was fairly deficient, you know, not very effective at all, and therefore I was starting from a standing start, really. So I had to do a lot of work on on learning to listen, not learning to uh, finish sentences, make assumptions about what was going on in their lives, jumping in with my sort of advice and wisdom, um, how to help them actually talk and articulate what was going on for them, particularly as teenagers, creating space, you know, learning to keep in control of my emotions because they tended to invade the conversations <laughs> early on. Counterintuitive um, stuff. Yeah, counterintuitive stuff. But, and actually just articulating in the family a value about communication and that kind of thing. So it's not a science, is it? You try, you learn some things, you put them into practice, you fail, you try again, but you're aiming sort of in a consistent direction. I think for me that's the key thing. You set your path, don't you, and you deviate from it and you get blown off course. But if you know what your path is, mm. you're likely to come back to it and keep going. And, you know, I'm really grateful with young adult children that actually we are the ones that they are really happy and willing and actually want to talk to about all of that kind of stuff. And it's it's rich and it's rewarding. So you're reaping what you've sown. Yeah. You do sit around ways. and you do we talk do. about yeah everything yeah the challenges the joy the we do and it's a real privilege actually that our our kids would come to us with some of their real challenges because life is challenging isn't it and we are shaped by the people we do life with we're not the only ones they share their stuff with but we're really grateful to have a voice into their lives as young people trying to navigate their way in this world and as you kind of went forward from that stage so you've set your goal you've started your parenting yeah what would you say your key components of parenting were? Gosh, um, I don't know that I could I could narrow it down to a neat few, all beginning with the same letter, <laughs> <laughs> or an acronym, um, or an acronym. <laughs> Obviously, we all want to love our kids. I think one of the things that was very impactful for me when I was a young mum was hearing about and recognizing the truth that all parents by and large want to love their children but lots of children grow up feeling unloved by their parents and therefore there's clearly a gap between the way that parents want to love and communicate their love and so there's a bit of a theme here isn't there (laughs) communication so so one of the components a key component for me was learning how to communicate love in a way that my kids received it or understood it and obviously that takes different shapes and forms depending on who the child is which it requires studying the child and the child's needs and um, you know learning about the ways that they need to feel loved and receive love that was that was quite a key component consistency would have been another yes. one um, that's a challenge I, isn't it, it? Is. and I, th- I think I'm quite an inconsistent person by nature in many ways oh, so ooh. well I don't know <laughs> I look at some people and think gosh you're much more consistent than me but who knows um, and so just aiming to be as consistent as I could be was a goal rather than necessarily an achievement but I think sometimes just being aware of things helps you Mm. head in the right direction other key components I've talked about communication time was another one I think we can fall for the lie can't we that as long as there's quality time quantity doesn't matter but as my husband says you only get quality if you put in the quantity so So making enough time not necessarily all the time that they wanted but enough time to have 
the good moments in and amongst the everyday ordinary and the bad moments was again another really key component for us and I think actually owning our own struggles and challenges as parents with our kids was quite a key decision we made early on that we didn't want them to think we were infallible right so yes again that was that was an intentional component of our parenting being willing to admit where we got things wrong as we went along admit where we were struggling and admit where capacity was limited and letting them see that actually we didn't have all the answers or you know we didn't get everything right and um, do you think that made it easier for them to fail I don't know actually you'd have to ask them <laughs> <laughs> but it certainly didn't leave them with any illusions about us they, okay. they, they haven't grown up believing that we have got it all right or think we've got it all right or had all the answers which mm. I think has probably been a bit helpful for them in different ways is there anything you go back and do differently if you had your time again? There's lots I would do differently if I had my time again, although I probably couldn't have done it differently. Mm. Um, so I would have done a bit more work on myself probably before I even became a parent. Like what? I started off as a, as a young mum with so many fears. And they weren't just, of course they were fears related to parenting once you become a parent, but the more fearful you are as a person, I think, you probably bring more fears than to your parenting. They just change shape, don't they? And I was a very fearful young woman, I think, in lots of different ways. And so, of course, those fears translated into different things to worry about as a, as a parent. Things to worry about about my kids, things to worry about about the way I was parenting them. You know, give me a future to imagine and... I would often imagine the worst rather than the best. And oh, okay. I don't yeah. think, I don't, well, it, you know, it would have made a difference, I think, in the early years to my parenting if I'd done a bit more work on that. Right. Or owned it and acknowledged it in a more significant way. And nowadays, there are so many more tools available. I mean, it's nothing to go and get yourself a course in CBT now, is it? But we didn't have that back no. then. Nobody was saying, you can improve yourself, you know. Yeah. And I think, I think having children actually highlights some of the stuff about us that nothing else puts pressure on in, mm. a, in a significant enough way for us to even see it yeah. so we might be super self-aware from other experiences in life but you know some of that stuff I just I, I don't know whether I'd really allowed myself to look at it or acknowledge that it was as real as it was and so you know dish a few children up yeah. Suddenly, it's in your face. It's in my face. It's in their face. It's in everybody else's face, and certainly puts um, you to the test. It does. It, it absolutely does. Yeah. It changes you like nothing else if you're open to being changed in a good way. Yeah. And then a lot of parents fear those teen years, don't they? Mm-hmm. Something else to fear. Something else to fear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. I think they hear lots of messages, don't they? And yeah. they see lots of stuff. Yeah. So, what would you go back and say to yourself as a parent? just about to approach the teen years I think one of the things I would say to myself is hold your nerve mm. um, the teenage years is a somebody once described it as a as a dark tunnel of adolescence and if you know it's a tunnel you'll you'll come out the other end you'll know there's an end to it and there'll be light at the other end whereas if you don't you just think the landscape's changed and it's going to be like this forevermore if I was advising myself again I would really encourage myself as a mum you know it's a tunnel it's a tunnel of transition it's a tunnel of change in lots of different ways for them uh, you know emotionally physically socially um, relationally and 
actually hold your nerve mm. hold your nerve as you go through the tunnel yes you might need to turn some lights on because it's a bit darker in the tunnel at times and you might need some different strategies and some extra sort of support and some different mindsets but it is a tunnel and at the other end it looks very very different life looks very different to how life looks in the tunnel when you say hold your nerve do you mean stick to your boundaries or worry less about the outcome and just do today I think both actually I think clearly there needs to be flexibility we adapt don't we to our kids needs but then there are some principles that work and there's wisdom that doesn't change depending on the circumstance and so it's the kind of the combination I would say probably of both of being flexible where you need to be flexible but holding your nerve and sticking to the boundaries the principles the values that you've set your sail by that actually don't look often like they're bearing fruit in the teenage years but you come out the other side and suddenly things begin to shoot above the earth flowers begin Mm. to open fruit begins to grow and you see maybe later than you'd like to the fruit and the rewards of staying the course staying consistent you know hoping when it looks hopeless and um, persevering when you feel like giving up because nothing seems like it's working yeah I think in those years one of the things that can be a struggle is what we think is good for them yeah and what they think is good for them can be really polar opposites yeah very often (laughs) (laughs) so how do donuts versus broccoli exactly exactly (laughs) and in keeping those relationships in good shape in the teenage years at the same time as protecting them from the things that they might not think they need protecting from yeah how do you navigate that path without kind of losing relationship yeah so that is a really challenging question and I don't know that there's a simple answer because I think if there was we'd all sail through the teenage years (laughs) to navigate that season with teenage children much of the climate as it were for that navigation as teenagers has been set when they're children somebody once said to me you need to win the battles with your toddlers or you won't ever win them with your teenagers Mm. I don't think that means just because you win them when they're toddlers that you win them when they're teenagers actually there's a principle there isn't there that the ground is laid for the teenage years to a large extent in terms of family relationships and definitely parenting relationships Mm. it's laid in the younger years the way you start is the way that you continue in the and what you sow in the in the younger years will be sort of to some extent relationally what you reap in the older years so I think there is a principle there that you can't start doing something radically differently when they're teenagers and hope that there's going to be some short-term fruit from that there might be but I think it's possibly unlikely how you protect them and navigate those years when what we might think is best for them and what they might think is best for them are radically different how do we preserve relationship I think part of the reason that's a challenging question is relationship is a two-way thing Mm. so I can preserve my side of the relationship I can be consistent I can you know be for them I can demonstrate love I can be available I can be accessible I can be forgiving I can be you know the things that I hope to be as a parent that doesn't necessarily mean that there'll be reciprocation Mm. and so I think sometimes relationships break down just because one side has got the freedom to walk away Mm. or to decide to shut down for a season and I think that's the huge challenge isn't it equally even if both sides are are willing to contend for relationship when there's differences of opinions and differences of perspectives and differences of desires doing relationship well 
is challenging at the best of times, let alone with a, a teenager. You talk about differences, and, and that's the key component of the teen years, yeah. Yeah. that we have differences. But yeah. you also talk about communicating through differences, whereas yeah. I think quite often as parents we fall into the trap of thinking we've all got to get to a place of agreement yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Can you speak into that at all? Well, I think learning to communicate our differences is key because the teenage years are a season aren't they where increasingly our youngsters are discovering more about who they are Mm. more about what they want to do with their lives more about what they believe more about where they want to go more about who they want to hang out with it's another really significant season of self-discovery isn't it and therefore by very nature an accentuation of the fact that they're different to their mum they're different to their dad and that can be really painful and challenging as parents I think and threatening at times if we are used to harmony equaling good relationships Mm. Um, Mm. and therefore that depends on us being very secure something again I had to work on in my when my eldest was becoming a teenager becoming secure in the fact that the fact that he was rejecting some of the perspectives that I might have had didn't mean that he was rejecting me Mm. he was just discovering who he was and therefore validating his perspectives was important as well as holding on to to mine so when he was sort of going off and finding his own way and Mm. you were trying to be secure in yours I mean what we're teetering on the brink of here is that massive massive subject of identity yeah isn't it yeah and it's so much spoken about and it's so much written about that I think we're all aware aren't we that children these days are struggling to find their sense of identity aren't they Mm. why do you think they're so challenged I wonder if one of the reasons they're so challenged is because identity is thrown at them from so many different areas yeah Um, they're almost curated aren't they yeah and so where in the past identity would be shaped in family as it begins in family still um, there were fewer voices speaking into their lives at such a young age almost giving them different options a smorgasbord to select from of who are you and who do you want to be and who do you think you are Mm. there are so many voices in our kids lives now aren't there particularly through social media the scope of and the number of voices is almost limitless and I don't know about you but I'm not very good with lots of people telling me lots of things and knowing who to listen to and what's worth listening to and actually of those that I listen to what to take on board and what to let go of I find it overwhelming well I think what's overwhelming is not so much which voices to listen to but which ones to deselect yeah strong opinions yeah to let go yeah it's really hard yeah. especially if it's coming at you from yeah. WhatsApp yeah. Instagram yeah. all of those different yeah. mediums and, and even just their sort of group communications yeah some strong opinions in yeah. there absolutely and I think our culture is also offering us sort of almost identity options based on all kinds of different things that wouldn't necessarily have defined us in such a definitive way do you believe as a parent that we can still be a key voice when they've got so many voices I do believe that we are key voices whether they let us believe that we're key voices or not I think we all know from our own parents good parenting and bad parenting that what our parents have 
spoken out over us and what they've spoken into our lives have had a hugely significant impact because I believe we're designed in such a way that our parents have been given a disproportionate voice into our lives. And so absolutely, we have a really significant impact by what we say, whether it looks like it or not, and whether they would acknowledge it or not. So if you believe that we do have a key voice, and at the same time we've acknowledged that children don't necessarily want to acknowledge that they're receiving <laughs> our mm. transmission. Mm. How do we continue to be a consistent voice of influence through those years once they are trying to find their own identity? Well, I think we can remain a consistent voice by being consistent in what we speak out over them and have been speaking out over them from, from birth. We can be re reactive in our parenting, can't we? Or, or proactive in our parenting. And, and hopefully we've been speaking out stuff over them that helps them shape who they are since they were born and therefore if we're being consistent we'll be continuing to articulate the same consistent messages regardless of, of circumstances and regardless of what's going on in, in family life I would hope. And as you're raising kids and <coughs> you're noticing as a parent some of their giftings and stuff how do you shape their identity without kind of forcing it on them? Well, I think in one sense, if you're calling things out, you are speaking something over a child or over a friend or over a family member, which some people might feel is forcing something on them just because you are being boldly declaring what you see. But that's the nature of calling things out, isn't it? So I would have seen things in my children or believed things about them and called it out. And I guess in the end, it, it's for them to do with when they're older what they choose to do with it. Mm. So I would have said things like, you're a very big-hearted person or you're a great communicator or you're so thoughtful or what a courageous boy you are or what a strong young man you've been for me today literally calling out what I could see in a repeated way mm. that was effectively just identifying what was there but articulating it and they're not directing they're actually confidence building aren't they? yes I think that's a really important distinction that you make about being confidence building not directive because when I say to my son for example when he was little he started carrying my shopping bags out of the car for me this is a really small example because identity is so multifaceted isn't it I often think about of identity being a bit like a diamond with lots of different facets to it none of us are just one thing and that's my identity that's the only thing about it you know I can be defined by by one statement um, which is one of the areas I think we're being so diminished by the way that culture defines us because culture defines us by one statement I am this or I am that rather than that I am a multitude of different things but going back to my my little chat when he would help mummy take the shopping bags out of the car and I would say to him gosh you are such a strong boy and you are so helpful I wasn't saying those things to try and make him into those things I was literally calling out the seeds of what I saw in him and valuing it and affirming it and our words create worlds whether they're negative or positive that's why words in playgrounds and words in schools are so life-shaping as well as the words that are spoken out at home and therefore I'm creating space for him to grow something that is already there because I've seen it in him 
mm-hmm. with my words. Mm-hmm. I'm providing room for him to grow into that rather than not acknowledging it and therefore calling out something that has the potential to grow, which is already there by the space that I've made for it. You're watering seeds. I'm aren't watering you? seeds, yeah. absolutely. I think, like you say, it's a big subject out there at the moment, and I suspect there are a lot of parents that are worried that they're over-defining, but we do have a role in there, don't we, as you say. What could you say to encourage parents to help their children find their identity? I suppose, for me, identity is essentially about how we define ourselves. And how we define ourselves is shaped by how we have been defined. Mm-hmm. So I know there's there's a narrative out there which is, well, I define myself. But actually, the reality is we all live with different elements of identity, both positive and negative. That is the fruit of how we have been defined through experience, through family relationships and family history, and through um, culture. And a lot of the soundtracks that we play to ourselves in our minds that shape who we think we are actually come from what we have been told Mm. either deliberately or subconsciously that kind of living algorithms yeah absolutely living algorithms that's a great way of putting it so you know many of us live with that identity that I'm a failure because at some point in my life I've failed and somebody's either told me I'm a failure or I've believed I'm a failure or um, circumstances have dictated I'm a failure and so that gets absorbed into the soundtrack or the algorithm and becomes part of my identity. I haven't decided I'm going to be a failure. I haven't chosen that. It has come to me through experience and other voices. And therefore, for our children, they are going to take on an identity somehow because family, life, the playground, experiences, circumstances are going to tell them about who they are or who they think they are. And therefore, if we are silent about their identity or we're not intentional about shaping that identity, well, it's it's not that we're leaving it for them to decide who they are. It's that just everybody else is going to tell them and all the other circumstances are going to tell them who they are. Mm. So therefore, our voice is hugely significant in the narrative because we're the ones that know our kids the best. We're the ones that love our kids the most. We're the ones that will fight for our kids Uh, most significantly we are the ones who have got their will well-being at the center of our world as it were and so you know we've been given that mandate to speak into that identity as the most significant voices as parents obviously my perspective on this is influenced by my faith as a christian and therefore i believe that fundamentally we don't define who we are i don't just get a piece of paper and decide this is who I am and this is who I want to be but actually I'm defined and shaped and given an identity by the one who made me and therefore it's more about discovering that identity rather than deciding it and therefore in my parenting of my own kids and I would encourage other parents to discover who God has made your kids to be and then speak out who he has said they are and who he has made them to be and how he has shaped them. Mm. I just want to dig into that expression, fight for our children, because that so resonates for me in this world. I feel like they are being assaulted from all sides, like you say, by opinions, by structures, by role models, yeah. bad ones quite often. Yeah. And 
as a mother and father, we do have that privilege of fighting for our kids, don't we? Absolutely. In what way would you say, looking back, you fought for your children? Gosh, probably lots of different ways. To give you an example, I would have fought for them in terms of what went into their young minds, what films they could and couldn't watch, what books they could and couldn't read, what influences they were exposed to and not as much as I had control over. Obviously, you know, when they go to school, there's suddenly a whole swathe of influences that are outside my reach. Although I do remember on one occasion, I think when one of our kids was seven, there was there was a, a class book being read to them that we felt was actually really unhealthy and unhelpful for them. And we did go in and, and uh, speak to the class teacher about it and just question, was it possible to read another book? And actually the teacher was fine with it and, and agreed, you know, yes, that would be fine. I know it doesn't always work out like that, but that would have been an example of actually taking a proactive interest in what is going into my young child's mind that I can do something about. We can't always do something about everything, but we can do a lot about a lot of things. And we walk a bit of a tightrope there, we do. don't we? We do. And I think sometimes we worry that we're being over-influential. Sure. And in doing so, I think we can be under-influential. Definitely. Our children have been entrusted to us to take care of. We are their protectors. We are their nurturers. We have been given that mandate and the role is ours and other people join us and help us hopefully and play a part in that but the responsibility is ours when they're under our roofs and we need to take that responsibility really seriously. And it comes back to holding your nerve again. It does, it It does, absolutely. That brings me on to your book. You've written a book about identity. I have. So what made you want to go for identity? So I decided to write a book on identity purely and simply because I think it is absolutely key to the way we live. What we think about ourselves, who we believe we are, shapes the way we live. I think it's something, as we see from our cultural conversation in this kind of cultural moment, it's it's a big issue because it's so connected to the way we live. Mm-hmm. And therefore, knowing who we are, discovering who we are, I believe, is key to the, the kind of life we live. And as people have read it, have you had some feedback on people discovering their identity? Yes and no, in in the sense that I, I don't think we just discover our identity by turning a few pages. Mm. Uh, I don't think it's that. I know you're not implying that, but I don't think it's quite that straightforward. But I think for a number of people, for many of us actually, we haven't really thought about it proactively, you know, who am I? How have I been made? What have I been made for? And therefore, to, to go on a journey of intentionally thinking about and exploring and digging into uh, some of the answers about that has been in itself a discovery mm. for some people to begin to go on that journey and to really start wrestling and engaging with some of the answers to those questions. Did you discover much about yourself on your journey? Well, I think the book came out of my own journey and realising how significant it was. I wouldn't want to say that I have, hey, I've discovered who I am, there's nothing more for me to learn. But certainly it has been a very significant part of my own journey as both as a, as a woman but also as a, as a daughter of God. So you, you said that working yourself out in terms of being a woman of God and so that obviously the book is a Christian book but mm. I have also given it to friends that aren't Christians and they have got masses 
out of it. Have you found that you've had a mixture of audiences? Yeah, I have. And does that intrigue you? Yes and no. It's not an obvious book to give to somebody with no faith because one might ask the question, well, would you be interested in the contents? But then yes, because so many people are interested in discovering more about who they are. And identity is an issue of the heart. It's, it's an internal issue and is one that is very thought-provoking and um, therefore I think there are a lot of people that are really up for reading something that might provoke some thinking about it, almost whichever angle it comes from. Mm, mm. And that leads me on to my question that I ask mm. everyone who comes on my podcast. Mm. What's a courageous thing that you've done? Well, that's a big question because mm. courage looks different, doesn't it, in different people's lives? Well, I think courage is wading into a fear, isn't it? And we're all fearful of different things. So what is courageous for one person is not courageous for another. Mm. So I thought I'd give you a parenting answer. Okay. <laughs> and a non-parenting answer. Okay. One of the most courageous things for me that I have done is to get into a white water raft because I don't love that kind of thing by any stretch of the imagination. Okay. I'm not a water adventurer. Yeah. I don't love water like you do. <laughs> so to go whitewater rafting with my family was a bit of a deep breath moment. And actually, I was the one that fell out of the boat. <laughs> I lived my worst nightmare. So that was a pretty courageous thing for me to do. With the sharks and crocodiles? No, there weren't any sharks and crocodiles. <laughs> but there were rocks, and I didn't manage to hit my head on one, which was quite impressive. You did? No, I didn't. You didn't? Which, no, was, which was good going. Yeah. My parenting act of courage, one of them, was to change my um, one of my sort of parenting principles when my eldest was quite a challenging teenager, and I had access to some some brilliant material that encouraged me to encourage him to take responsibility for some of his choices and start experiencing the consequences of them, and I knew that in doing that I was risking not being the person that you know, was his favourite person in the world and wanting to... Risking his approval. Risking his approval, risking his affection for what I believed was his good. And so that felt like a really courageous step to take, letting go of, in some ways, trying to, or being able to influence how he felt about me by being the nice guy. And did it pay off? It did pay off, in the long term, not the short term. Yes, and, and that is... <laughs> One of the key things about parenting, you it alluded is. to it earlier, it is. that we expect to sort of put our penny in and, and, and get our magic out, but yep. actually, yep. plants grow slowly. Plants grow Children slowly. Children grow slowly. Children are not what microwavable objects. No, they're not. <laughs> but it's really interesting you touch on that, because somebody said to me the other day, they felt it was controlling. What would you say to that about consequences? I would say it's the opposite. I would say consequences are not controlling, they're liberating. I'm releasing my child to experience the natural outworking of their choices, which they are going to experience when they leave my home. So, you know, when I park on a double yellow line, the consequence of leaving my car there for more than a few moments is that I get a parking ticket. That is life. Mm -hmm. And so I'm actually being controlling if I'm protecting my child from experiencing the consequences of their choices. I'm controlling the outcome in an artificial way that is setting them up to 
in my view, fail when they leave my roof because I've protected them from real life realities. So we used the word protecting earlier, mm. and of course you can take these words and you can use them any which way, but mm. actually when you talk about protecting earlier, you're talking about protecting them where they can't protect themselves, sure. aren't you? Yep. Whereas in the terms of consequences, you're more saying, actually, I'm going to release you from my protection mm-hmm. so that you can see cause and effect sure. and you can make your decision about that. So Absolutely. That and is scary, isn't it? It is, it is scary if you make a dramatic transition, which I did because I wanted to protect my children from the consequences of their choices because consequences can be a little bit painful. A lot bit. And <laughs> a big bit painful. And our our nature as nurturers is to protect them from from pain in that respect. But life isn't going to protect them. And so there's a there's a safe and a and a good way of learning some life lessons. And then there's a really harsh way of learning life lessons. And under the the, the safe, loving roof of our homes is, in my view, the place to begin to learn some of those lessons to prepare for life outside our homes. Yeah, and in a culture where you are loved, it is safe to fail. Yeah, absolutely. You don't go off you because you've made a poor choice. Absolutely, and we can help you learn to handle those consequences and recognise that they're not life-defining and life-shaping most of the time. Mm. They're temporary and they can be very useful in teaching us how to grow and how to move forwards and how to handle life better as a result. And if you had one encouragement for parents out there, what would it be? I think I would say to you, if you're listening, you are doing a better job than you think. I love that. I think you are doing, well I know you're doing a better job than you think. I think we are our toughest critics because we have such huge hearts for our kids and I think live with this nagging fear and guilt that we're failing at everything and we could be doing better and actually you you need to know you're doing a better job than you think you are. Take that encouragement parents, you're doing better than you think you are. There was so much in there wasn't there? What was your take home point? I love that sense of validating our children's perspectives as well as hanging on to ours. And isn't it empowering to know that no matter how much you think your voice is just white noise in your home, it's not. It's hugely significant. And that important part that we get to play in helping our children to discover their identity. Never underestimate yourself again. And it's true, we are shaped by the people that we do life with, and I'm very grateful to be shaped by my friend Hills. Drop her an encouragement on Instagram if you've felt encouraged by her today, at Hills Grew on Instagram. Her book is fantastic. It's called Known. I've put a link below. If you would like to feel more secure in who you are, and after all, who wouldn't, it will influence your journey. Knowing who we are connects us to our purpose, shapes the way we live and affects our relationships. And our identities can get hidden by other badges and labels that life has stuck on us. And I know that as a parent, there are times when it just gets a bit buried under everything else. The book is divided up into weekly sections and takes you through a year of looking at who you are 
And as said in the podcast, it's a Christian book, but it's not just for Christians. And as for me, well, you can find me everywhere on Instagram at The Courageous Mama, on The Courageous Mama blog, on LinkedIn and on email. And if you'd like to pick up your reader's discount of the beautiful hardback, fully illustrated Parenting for Life, pop to The Courageous Mama blog or the link below. And if you'd just like to chat, email me on the Courageous Mama at Gmail. I do try to catch up with everyone who does that. Or you can pop to the blog to find out more about actually booking a parenting session if you'd like. And that's it from me this week. I'll see you again on Tuesday. Bye.